This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original series. I'm Norman Lau, and we have a fantastic show for you because the team is back, and we finally whipped into shape Schmedlap after his huge faux pas with the Romulan Ale last episode. I believe the Chief took care of that. Did you not, Chief? We took care of it. And the Atavacrons dried out. Some of the circuits got a little bit sizzled, but... We were able to get the transmat beam working, and back in the studio with us, we have Mr. Ataz. Mr. Ataz, Jeffrey Harlan, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, but uh, I, en- I ended up finding myself redirected to some uh, Renaissance pleasure fair planet, uh, and uh, you know, not enough sunblock, so right now my face is about as red as my shirt. So it's not the, it's not the circuitry that we smell sizzling, it's your skin. Um, could be both. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back in the studio with us. And you heard the chief, and it's a good thing that you didn't hear him discipline Schmedlap because you heard a completely different side of chief that I'm not sure if anyone's ready for. You little scumbag! I got your name! I got your ass! You will not laugh! You will not cry! You will learn by the numbers! I will teach you! Now get up! Get on your feet! But the chief is with us nonetheless. How are you, Ken? I'm doing well, thanks. Good to be here. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep this rated PG. It, it was ugly. Jeff, my sincere apologies, brother. It's no fun, but um, Schmedlap, he's, he's in the rack. Uh, after 150 push-ups, every five minutes, it taught him a lesson. So Umpty Scratch is cowering in fear with what the chief had to do disciplinary-wise. So uh, believe me, that's the last time we're going to let a case of any Romulan ale ever get into our studio ever again, period. Because... That stuff's supposed to be illegal. I don't know how it got out, but it did. So, And Jeff is a little the tanner for it. (laughs) So we have a great show for you all tonight, and we're going to be talking about a lot of the feedback that you gave us on the Babel Conference. In the last few days or so, I put out a feeler to all of you, and I just wanted to see how you thought we were doing. And we had some great feedback from all of our listeners And we'd like to cover some of that with you on the show. So let's, we have a lot to get to. Let's just jump right into it. Jeff is going to read a couple of emails from some of the listeners that wrote in because I think some of them maybe had a correction or two for Mr. Atos. And I'd like for you to be able to, one, answer those directly, and two, tell us a little bit about what you would have liked to have said if you were with us in the studio 
regarding last episode's podcast where I talked about how The Wrath of Khan was far superior to the motion picture. And I know Ken has the power. You, you, you talked about it. You, you failed to make your I, point, but you talked about it. I know Ken it. has the power of editors, so I'm probably going to get edited out anyway. So I might as well try no, and get that in. I would never, ever do a thing <laughs> like that, except for this show. So, Jeff, please um, read the uh, emails for us. And I know there are a couple things that you probably want to clear up detail-wise. And let us know what you thought about our recording from the last show. All right. Well, I'll start off with uh, an email that we got from Thomas Flint uh, regarding the last episode. Uh, uh, Glad to hear the movie concept regarding the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. Leonard Nimoy's passing in 2015 naturally captured media attention like few celebrities' lives do. The massive coverage allowed us to pay tribute to a man and further honor a career that stood for integrity, talent, and vision for the future. One could say, though, that such public focus on Leonard's corner of our Star Trek universe had the unfortunate effect of overshadowing other sad news of the day. I think I can say that, in addition to Nick Meyer, all are familiar with the other man who saved Star Trek, Harv Bennett, who died two days before Mr. Nimoy. Bennett's creative influence on Star Trek's 2, 3, and 4 was profound. It was he who invented the revenge angle, and it was he who rescued the fantastic Ricardo Montalban from some kooky island somewhere. Paramount's finance people were especially thrilled that The Wrath of Khan had an extremely low budget compared to the motion picture. Please understand that I'm not suggesting you don't know these facts in franchise history. I'm already taking sides on the case that Atos will hear. In 1979, watching one felt so miserable that I walked out of the theater before the end. The only good that it brought to my experience was Jerry Goldsmith's music, but I have since come to appreciate the film much, much more than I could as a young teenager. There couldn't have been two without one, no doubt. In a movie sense, maybe the better equation, indeed a stronger intermix formula for Spock to call down from the bridge, goes like this. One plus one equals two. Or put another way, Bennett plus Meyer equals genius. I want to thank Trek FM for sharing news and anecdotes about Star Trek from behind the camera. In particular, the writing room number 173 has an excellent and very respectful analysis of the gifted producer's career. All right, well, my thoughts on this, uh, I think that... Star Trek II did a lot to give Paramount further incentive to make more movies in the future. Uh, Star Trek One was financially successful enough that it warranted a second one, and the second one was able to capitalize off of the existing sets that they had and models that they had from the first one, which then let them lower the budget so that they could make even more money on the second one, which then, together, the two of them saved Star Trek. I mean, sure, if you want to put it that way. I mean, that's just logic. I mean, why would you want to do it that way? But sure, I guess it worked. Whatever. I don't care. Because, I mean, (laughs) Star Trek II, it was right after Star Wars, which you could say Star Wars is the one that saved Star Trek. Um, But uh, Star Trek II uh, came, or Star Trek the motion picture, rather, uh, came in big budget, Beautiful uh, effects works, beautiful model work. Uh, The sets looked fantastic and not so crazy about the uniforms, uh, except for maybe Kirk's Admiral's uniform. That one was pretty cool, but uh, it set the groundwork and it set the visual tone for the, the sets and for the models for the movies going forward. The next film set the tone for plots, for the costuming, for the characters, and from that point forward, 
So the two of them together, I think, you know, it it's really hard to have success for Star Trek without both of them working in tandem. That's fair enough. I mean, it's, you know, when we were talking about it in the last episode, it was more of a along the lines of the, the more the tone of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like which tone really worked well for the custom um, for the customers, for the listeners, which tone resonated most. And one can't survive without the other. I mean, you can't launch like Ken said, you know, you can't do two without one. You can't use the assets that you had in two without using and extrapolating on what they built for one. I mean, it just basically it's, it's smart business and that's the right thing to do. So what did you think about that, Ken? Well, the fact that he walked out of the movie theater, I'm going to be looking for Mr. Flint. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Tom. I, I, I understand. Hey, listen, all these things, uh, when it comes to personal taste, it's, um, it, it can be tricky. I think that, uh, I have a, an enormous amount of respect for Nicholas Meyer and for Harv Bennett. I think they did a, a wonderful job with the franchise, and they took it in a very different direction, one that made it a little bit more, quote-unquote, realistic in terms of the human condition and how very little man has changed over the years beyond the, the utopian look that uh, Roddenberry tried to put on it. But I think that um, he makes some very good points. I think that the... Uh, you know, one of the one of the key things was as as Meyer and Bennett got going, and Meyer, you can say in many ways, saved it from the original script with with Jack B. Sowards, who who wrote the. I guess he came up with a lot of the concepts, but couldn't get it all together. And Meyer was able to rewrite and put it all together in what twenty four forty eight hours, and bring a lot of structure uh, to the movie, and and really allowed it to flourish. And I think there's a lot to be said for what. For what he did. And keep in mind, this was supposed to be not even a motion picture. This was supposed to be a movie of the week. And as things got going and things got better, they, um, they, umped it up, they, they amped it up to be a motion picture. And then as, you know, the, the studio execs really liked the movie, they, they even allowed them to bring in a composer. It was supposed to be synthesized music. So there's a lot of things that happened during the making of this movie uh, to to bring it back, so you know it, it's a great movie. I, I would never argue that Star Trek Two is not one of my um, favorite Star Trek movies. Um, I think that the original series movies are still the better ones. Uh, I I love First Contact, but it's not better than Star Trek Two or Star Trek One, in my opinion, or Star Trek Six or Star Trek Four. But it's good, and um, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, Thomas. I think. I think your 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 views are are spot on. I understand where you're coming from. It it was a very different film. I do know that Ricardo Montalban uh, was reinvigorated. Uh, Fantasy Island that wasn't a small show. I mean that was a very successful show for many years. So he wasn't rescued from a kooky island. Although I know I know the context in which you speak, but that really revitalized his career. And after Khan, you found him in a lot more movies too. So. Um, Great, great email, and Jeff, I, I think that your your opinions are spot on as well. Yeah, and you can't forget the rich Corinthian leather either. <laughs> you cannot. Chrysler, that's right. So thanks, Thomas, for your email, and I do believe we have one more here, Jeff, and this one I think you might want to address personally because <laughs> the hardest thing to do when we are on a live mic like this, and as great as Ken is with editing— Sometimes we let 
a detail or two possibly slipped through just because that's just the that's just the perils of live recording. And I've I've taped that. And there's another one. I've just typed that many times on the Babel conference, because what we do here, as well as you can prepare yourself, sometimes things just get through. So, Jeff, please take it away with Rob Williams. Well, Rob Williams writes, hey, guys, been listening for a few months now, and I'm really loving the show. Greatly enjoyed the discussions of the last few episodes. It's always great to hear what other fans think about various episodes and where they fit into the lexicon for each of us. Also, have to say that I'm pretty much in line with the final list that shook out from you guys, along with the input from the Babel Conference. That said, I did have to point out one thing. On this most re- recent episode, Mr. Ataz mentions the Season 1 episode Tomorrow is Yesterday. However, the plot that he describes, in particular the Enterprise going back in time to stop the launch of a satellite armed with nuclear weapons, is actually from the Season 2 episode Assignment Earth. It was actually surprising to hear Mr. Ataz make a slip, and I had to go back and listen to that part again to make sure I hadn't been hearing things. Guess no one's perfect. Well, like we said, Perils of Live Radio, I always mess up on those episode titles. Tomorrow is Yesterday, Return of Tomorrow, Simon Earth, they... I get the plot straight, but sometimes it's my brain, you know, brain fart, and I uh, spit out the the wrong title when I'm speaking. Uh, when I'm typing stuff up, I usually have more time. I can go back, read it, and uh, you know, uh, double check all of my sources and quotes. But uh, when I'm speaking live, I, I sometimes misquote. So here we are, folks. You are listening to Standard Orbit Unplugged. I mean, this is it's raw, it's gritty, and I was even gonna maybe you know slip another bottle of Romulan ale to Ken to say like, hey, smooth some of these edits over and take some of the the blips and bleeps and pops and cracks out. But I think I'm just going to let it go with this one because what you're hearing is is us. Sometimes it's unfiltered, sometimes it's passionate, raw, and sometimes we make mistakes. And that's okay. You know why? Because you can always look at a book and say, aha, I knew I was right. And you knew we were right too. It's just that sometimes it just comes out a little bit differently. But the sentiment is the same. And the one thing that you can't fault us on ever is our love for Star Trek. So that's that's us for email and... Now I'd like to flip things. Or oh, wait a second! I'm getting the high sign from the chief. So, did you? Oh, I have a comment. On okay. This. Um, first of all, being a certified, genuine Navy chief, senior chief, actually, we are never wrong. Uh, we are misinformed from time to time, but we are never wrong. Secondly, if I ever screw up, that's your impression. I'm merely testing you fans. So these other two, they're working on getting perfect, and one day we'll get there. But um, for me, nope, nope, never wrong. So I just want to make sure we're perfectly clear on that. From Ken's mouth to your ears, I would definitely suggest listening to what he said after seeing what happened with Schmedlap. So. <laughs> yes, and, and I would ask you please not to verify with my wife anything I just said. Thank <laughs> oh, you. Oh, so we know the chief behind the chief. Is that what we're saying? I get it. <laughs> The commander in chief. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, if this well, now is that, uh, if if this is standard orbit unplugged, does that mean one of us has an acoustic guitar? I'd like to think that I play guitar, and I'd like to think that I'm actually not lying when I say that I can. So I won't say any of it. Ken, can you edit that out? Probably. No, no. This is unplugged. This is unplugged. The standard orbit. So everything goes in this episode, which makes it really easy for Ken because all he has to do is what push a button on the mix down and spit it out. That's how. After all, this is warp five, isn't yeah, it? That's right. You know, <laughs> I started off the show because I—it's in my brain somewhere. As a, as a former host for warp five, it just things like that just slip up. 
you know. But now that everyone's had a chance to hear Mr. Atos's thoughts on the previous show and, and what he would have added to the show and all of our email, it's time to flip the switch, like I said before, and get into Hailing Frequencies Open. Hailing Frequencies are open. And the reason why I say that is because I'm tying this back to our very first show where I asked everyone on the Babel Conference to let us know and chime in with some feedback on how we're doing. And just to kind of like kick the tires, check the oil pressure. All right, all right, we're in Star Trek. Check the warp phase intermix or some of the plasma flow regulators, if you have to have me say it. Um, But just to let us know how we're doing. And we love seeing and hearing from everyone kind of like, you know, chiming in from time to time to time. And we definitely check ourselves and make sure that we're gauging everyone's interests properly. But we just want to see how we're making sure that everything is being taken care of. We want to give you the best show that we possibly can and to always get us either better than spec or to even upgrade and refit the refit. So we're just going to jump right into this because there's a lot of stuff that came through. And I'm going to start us off with what Adam Drozen wrote in. And he said, nicely done on the Essentials TOS shows. I'm now curious as to which episodes you'd choose for the flip side of that experiment. Instead of the episodes which you'd recommend for first-time viewers as an essential, what are the episodes that had to grow on you over time for you to appreciate? And I'd actually like to use this for the content of another podcast, but just to think about that and off the cuff, I wrote in the Babel Conference that one of the hardest episodes for me to really grasp onto when it first came out was the Omega Glory, which is like one of my all-time favorite episodes now because when I saw it the first time, it was a little over my head, and now as I see it and just kind of grow with it and let it let it sink in, I think it's one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. So for what Adam is asking you guys, what was an episode that was tough for you to kind of really sink your teeth into, and now you couldn't even imagine Star Trek without it? Yeah, for me, it was Alana Troyes. I, um, I remember watching that when I was younger and, and never really getting into it much. Probably because I didn't appreciate the humor in it. And as I got older, I, I really started to like that. And uh, I, I appreciate some of the lines in that show more than ever. And and it was probably from some of my more recent viewing that got me more addicted to it. So that that's one. And then uh, then there are others that you just you, you just can't get used to, you know. And uh, like the very last episode or uh, or Plato's step. What is it? The episode that shall not things. be named. <laughs> <laughs> That's the episode that shall not be named. Turnabout Intruder, mm-hmm. right? But uh, I, I just, yeah, there are just certain ones that never really grew on me. There isn't one I would never watch, to be honest with you, but there are just some I prefer over others. But there, there's, there's a couple in there that uh, still haven't grown yet. How about you, Etaz? Well, um, it's still not de- uh, one of my favorites now, but I appreciate it more than I used to, and that's Spock's brain. Uh it, I appreciate it so much that it was in my top seven for the essentials uh, for season three. But I mean, when I was younger, I could not stand that episode and I hated it. And it's only recently that I've reevaluated it and looked at what it was trying to do and what it actually did accomplish uh, in at least in the first two thirds of the episode. And I appreciate it more now uh, for what it was trying to do than I ever appreciated it in the past. Yeah, they're always going to be an an episode or two that kind of slip by. But I think that when we take a look at all 79 plus the cage, they're all fun to watch. 
at one point or another, but then there are just some which completely just like, well, I think I'll shelf that for now. So that's a great that's a great point that you brought up, Adam. I think that's going to make for a really interesting episode, and I hope that we'll be able to do that for you. So, Ken, um, who do we have next? This next one's from Craig Malumby. We hear from him often, and it's very much appreciated. So Craig writes, You have done a great job on the show, and my one suggestion at the beginning was to treat Season 3 as fairly as you do Seasons 1 and 2, and you have done that, and I greatly appreciate it. In terms of a topic on the show, I can't really think of any other than I haven't heard much talk about Trek 4, Star Trek 4 on the network. I mean, this is the movie the general people liked when it came out, even to the point where it's nicknamed The One with the Whales. Maybe a fun discussion about the Voyage Home and its pop culture significance. Other than that, I look forward to what you have in store every week. So very kind words there again from Craig. He's... Uh, He's always a, a, a great person to to converse with on the Babel Conference, and I like that topic. I, I mentioned last week when we did our uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture versus The Wrath of Khan that uh, when it comes to the movies, that's really my element. That's where I really love to talk about. I'll talk about anything Star Trek, but The Voyage Home, great movie. There's a lot to grasp there, and that definitely has to be a show, a very focused show. And if you don't like that movie, I guess you did a little too much LDS. LDS. <laughs> but that also means that do you not or do you like Italian? Because I like Italian. Do you like Italian? Yes. No. No? No. Yes. No. No. Yes. I love Italian. <laughs> and so do you, Atos. Yes. <laughs> uh, that free speech movement at Berkeley will get you. <laughs> Star Trek Four. even right now when I'm thinking about it, and I don't even know the content yet for that show because we are we are going to get to that show. This particular team will cover all of the movies at one point in time. And um, probably the best time to do it for us is probably going to be a countdown to Star Trek Beyond. But even thinking about four just brings a smile to my face. I think it brings a smile to everyone's face who thinks about the Star Trek original series movies. It's a fun movie. It's fun. It's I really appreciate the humor in that movie because that's something that we didn't get a lot of in the others. Well, yeah, you're right. We had little bits and pieces here and there, but it's just one of those episodes. And like I mentioned it before with Trouble with Tribbles versus A Piece of the Action, I always equate the humor in Voyage Home to the humor that you got in Piece of the Action. It wasn't forced. It was very natural. Almost every cast member got their, their due not necessarily in the same percentage of time because you're always dealing with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in the movies, but everyone got paired off and got to do something really fun and just strange in the 20th century. Sulu you flying. have to stun you. That's right. You know, it's like you have Chekhov infiltrating a U.S. vessel. Wessel. wessel. Nuclear wessel. Nuclear wessel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the Enterprise. And he and Uhura or Walter and Michelle were fantastic together. And then you had... Probably one of the funniest scenes in any Star Trek movie ever with Scotty talking into the mouse while trying to figure out the transparent aluminum matrix. I mean, that's just classic. And then Bones trying to sell the fact that he's this grand engineer and then Sulu making time with you know one of the pilots trying to figure out how to fly a Huey. You know, one of the Federation's most decorated helmsmen and captain or eventually captain of the Excelsior or the Enterprise B. Or the Excelsior, I'm sorry, Excelsior. the Excelsior, right? Flying a Huey in 20th century time. I mean, it's like Spock and McCoy trying to jump into, 
you know, a, a car in a piece of the action. It's just fun to see. So you're absolutely right, Greg. Star Trek Four has to be on our list, and it is on our list. We'll just eventually have to plot that in and get to it. It's a movie that's worth talking about, and each one of the motion pictures in the original series line definitely needs its own analysis show from each one of us. Ken and I had to get our thoughts out for the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan, but that was more of kind of like a 1v1 kind of show. Each one of those movies really deserves our full analysis, and we will definitely get to that. So thank you for that. Um, So the next topic we have here is from our very own Aaron Harvey. And Ataz, would you mind uh, taking a look at what he had to say? Well, Aaron writes to us, I have to say I'm not one for list shows, especially several in a row. I'm definitely looking forward to something like an episode rewrite or a behind-the-scenes look at the original series, or maybe a look at the less-than-canon world of the books, but that's me. I really love your energy and passion for the show, so I'd like to see more of what you all want and less of what the Babel Conference wants from you. What's your POV, and what journey do you want to take us on? Well, I I really appreciate uh, this uh, from Aaron. Um, I've spoken to him... uh, individually on several occasions as well as in the forum uh and i love these ideas uh these are things that i'd like to talk about as well um i don't want to step on the uh, the toes of literary trucks too much but uh i'm, I'm sure that there are some things that we can cover from uh, the books and the comics um i'd like to uh look at these uh the the movies like we were saying we're going to go into individually down the line and i'd also like to uh you know Episode rewrite sounds like an interesting idea. You know, maybe we could take some of these episodes that didn't quite work as well for us and maybe see what we would do differently for those episodes. That might uh, be an interesting uh, uh, experiment on the show. Did you ever one uh, have one that just kind of pops into mind right now, Jeff? Like one that you said, uh, like the th- second uh, or the last half of Spock's brain mm-hmm. or the cloud minders or... Um, Wink of an eye, mm-hmm. some of the season three things that I know that you probably had a little bit more to say about. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, maybe take another look at Turnabout Intruder. Maybe uh, I, I think that has a concept that where that episode could absolutely get redeemed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you, Ken? Anything uh, here like resonate with you, especially uh, with the rewrites? I think rewrites are fascinating. I know that a lot of the shows here on our on our network here at Trek FM, especially the team at to the journey with Tristan and, and Char are fantastic with rewrites. And I know Floyd on Warp 5 and you, Jeff, you know, you've tackled a couple of rewrite possibilities. And Floyd is, he loves his conspiracy theory, so he loves doing the conspiracy theory writing. I think it'd be fun. It's just, these episodes are so well known in the original series. It's hard to kind of like find the one well, then where you can kind of flip on his head. weave in elements from later Star Treks that we know of into these episodes too. Like some of this stuff with say section 31 work that into the enterprise incident where it's actually, it was a section 31 operation all along. Right. The periphery, like around the, like what you don't see in Mm -hmm. the episode, but what happens outside the scenes. Yeah, sure. So what do you think, Ken? Well, if I take his list kind of down the, down from, from top to bottom. So he says he's not a big fan of list shows. I, I like what we did as far as the essential viewing list in terms of trying to get the modern fan to watch the original series shows and if it would work. But I, I do understand where he's coming from that. There are some times where 
it just goes on and on and on with um, many, many different list shows. But I, I enjoyed what we did, but I understand what he's saying. Uh, he's defiantly looking forward to something like an episode rewrite or behind the scenes look at TOS. So I love behind the scenes. I like how things were made, why they did what they did, some of the controversy behind that. It's kind of shining a light on how things were done because that stuff just really interests me. I'm not a real big rewrite guy. Uh, it, it's it's interesting sometimes, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I would guess I would go back to the Babel conference to see what people like to listen to, even though that's Aaron saying don't do that. But when it comes to a rewrite, do they? Do, is there enough passion out there for someone to care what we would think it would it would it would be like if we were to rewrite it? I don't know. It's kind of how I, I take it when hosts go down that road. I I respect and I love too the journey. I'm an associate producer for them, and I like all their episodes. But those are things that I sometimes struggle with. Uh, let's see. Uh, he likes the energy, and he says, "What's your point of view, and what journey do you want to take us on?" Well, for me, I just want to make sure it's as entertaining as possible, and we need to have that right balance of just being creative and, and, and marching to our own beat. But every once in a while, checking to make sure that we're still within the, you know, the, um, the tempo, I guess, that the, that the fans and the listeners want us to do. So I think it's, it's, it is a balance. I think we're really working hard trying to figure out what our style is. I think we've come up with some pretty clever, you know, little inner workings of the show, some quirks that definitely belong to phase two, which I like a lot. So it's it's going to be an interesting journey. I, I think we're still very new at this in terms of what we're going after. But, you know, we, we've hit some um, pretty big home runs, uh, according to a, a lot of the fans. And hopefully we can we can continue can continue that streak and really dive into things, because one thing that is consistent uh, on the show is the passion. We do love the original series and. You know, I have no problem looking at those books, especially those 80s books and 70s books. Those were great books. And I am quite sure that um, literary treks, they seem to be moving more progressively forward than looking back. So they're focused as long as we're on the new uh, stuff, I think. Yeah, they're all on the new stuff. So if we were to look back, especially some of the things, you know, to that, to that, um, to that topic, Jeff. And Norm, I would love to look at that timeline between the motion picture and Star Trek Two, because I know that everybody on the Babel Conference and big Star Trek fans, they know that there was a significant amount of time that passed between the two, but a lot of people don't. And it was almost like there was another five-year journey in there. Are we talking about so in canon time or production go. time? In production time, it was only three years. Yeah. But in canon time, I believe it was another five-year mission. Oh, I could no, be wrong was, about that. It was that. longer than even than that because uh, the uh, the motion picture was like around uh, 2272-ish. And Star Trek Two was 2285. So that's we're looking like about 13 years in between. Maybe that's why oh, they look so much older, like you said, Ken. Because remember you said in, uh, he's like, why do all the cast look like significantly older and it's only been three years? Yeah. Well, everybody was in the gym before they made Star Trek the motion picture, and I think they just went to the donut shop afterwards. So it, uh, they radically, some of them really radically changed between that movie. Yeah. It's something. But yeah, uh, and that was one yeah. of the the issues that I had with the chronology on Star Trek Two was uh, they kept talking about fifteen years since Space Seed, basically, but twenty two eighty five you know and space seed was in like twenty two sixty seven we're looking closer to like seventeen eighteen twenty years in between so 
I mean, my only rationalizing for that is, you know, SETI Alpha 5's orbit, it was 15 years for him. He says 15 years on the channel to, to Kirk. Kirk doesn't bother to do the mental uh, calculations for how long it's been for him because time passed differently because the different rotation and years and everything. Okay, so I'm going to tangent this off a little bit. This isn't really part of the discussion, but it's, it's a fascinating point that you bring up. When the writers were doing that back in 1982 or 1981 where they were developing the story, do you think any of those guys cared? No. And obviously... Not that they didn't care, and I'm sure that they want to be as accurate as they can be, but there's no way that they can predict the level of accuracy that's being taken and levied against the movies today with today's audiences. That's kind of like the point. Star Trek fans, they love to get in there. Every detail, mm -hmm. every little nuance, every little, de you know, every little decimal point and year and... But some of those things, just they just weren't addressed at the time or really given that much due because... They were the bigger broad strokes, brush strokes, rather than the fine print. They really didn't go granular at the time, as they like the way they do now. I don't even really think they probably had the Bible of their storytelling. So that's that's one thing I've always wanted to talk about in terms of the fandom. And I'm not sure if it's going to be one of those kind of conversations where some fans will be like, you know, I'm going to completely turn or tune out. But I do think that there is a part of the fandom that really kind of doesn't see the forest from the trees sometimes. Mm -hmm. Narrative wise, you can like, you know, talk details to death and ad nauseum. But if you're missing the giant plot point or the, you know, the moral of the story, then where are we with our storytelling? Has that has that been the progression of storytelling today? And that's what people are used to. And if so. I'm not even sure if I agree with that, if that's the way to go. So my point is, is that. At a certain time with the movies especially early on the story was really more important than anything else. And I think that really has to be it, the story should be important. And sometimes if there's a conflict in the details, you know, maybe that's uh, either the character is just getting the facts wrong or, you know, there's some other explanation and you get yourself a retcon or right. in Star Trek two's case, a retcon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I still think that uh, those books that were written in those era to me, Oh, those are excellent uh, books. Remember, I like love the them. entropy effect, and and there were others that that were made during that span. Regardless if it was ten years, fifteen years, whatever it was, five year mission. I always thought it was a five year mission. So there you go. Um, oh, Star that, Trek that Seven, me, or we already uh, they also established that during that time Kirk retired for a bit too. So there's that's right. There's still room for a five year mission and for him to retire. Now, in in Star Trek Two, Kirk was turning fifty, right? And or 49, which is exactly where I am in my life. And I will tell you, time goes by so quickly. And I'll say things like that all the time. You know, that's something, you know, when did Phantom Menace come out? 99? 99, August. You know, and I was thinking, oh, that's no, only been out summer. for 10 years or something like that. You know, and it's like, no, it's been 15, 16 years or 17 years. Going on 18. That's yeah. how that's how your memories work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. when, you, when you get older, you, you just, time goes by and it can be fleeting. So to say there's a guy I haven't seen for, or a man I haven't seen for 15 years out there who's trying to kill me. That could be a very, very reasonable thing for somebody to say at his age who's been through as much as he has without paying that much attention to detail. Yeah, it's a and rounded that, number. that ties back into what I was saying was that maybe Khan was keeping track, but on SETI Alpha 5, you know, the, the orbit is different and the days, the rotation of the planet is different. So, you know, for him, he thinks it's been 15 years and for that planet's orbit it has, 
But from Kirk's perspective, it's been longer. But Kirk doesn't, you know, he, he's not going to stop and do the math. And it's like, oh, well, you know, relatively. And, you know, it's like he hears 15 years. It's like, okay, it's been 15 years, whatever. And uh, it's kind of like it kind of makes time stop or go to a standstill. If like Kirk was in the Genesis states, like there's a man out there that I haven't seen in 15.75 years who's trying to kill me. <laughs> you show me a son who I haven't seen in 19.82 years and you'd be yeah. happy to help him. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, no, it's it like, doesn't. And that's why the motion picture is clearly the better movie. Clearly, <laughs> clearly. I'm, and even if I wanted to edit that out, you'd, you'd edit it right back in. So <laughs> <laughs> so for our for our point of view and for the journey that we want to take all the listeners on, I was talking to John Champion about this because he does Mission Log with Ken Ray. And around the time that Christopher Jones floated the idea of of me coming in as host for Standard Orbit, as much as I love Star Trek, and you guys know I love the original series, I actually had to take a pause a little bit and ask myself, well, first of all, who's the team I'm going to assemble? And second of all, what journey am I going to take new fans on or any fans on? I mean, John and Ken, they did all 79 plus the cage and the movies by the time that I got to this. So they did it brilliantly and, you know, in order and uh, with just intense trivia and chronological analysis. So... I think the best thing for me to say here is we want to take you on something that's fresh and we want to take you to something that's uh, that's probably a little bit more personal because everything is is all about how you relate to Star Trek at a personal level. My personal level, Ken's personal level, Jeff's personal level. If you agree with us, that's great. And if not, it's great too because you can always write in the Babel conference and say, you know, we disagree and we can start that discussion. I think the point is, is that we always just want to keep the discussion going for the original series. And I always wanted it to come from the stance that we're talking to new fans because a lot of new fans are coming in with the advent of the 09 and the STID movies and now beyond. I can't wait to see what the fan base is going to look like after beyond because I'm going to wrap this point up with this last anecdote. Someone once told me that finding Star Trek now is like finding like the album of a band that they fall in love with and then discovering that this band has like 30 back albums that they never heard and they can go backwards in time to where they first heard the original sound of that band. They might find value in that. They might not. And then they can see the evolution in the process of what happened to bring them to the band that they fell in love with today. And I think that's a fantastic way of seeing the original series as it has evolved Star Trek, not just in the original series, but overall throughout time into the new movie that we now are seeing that's back again to the original series. So there's a lot to talk about, and there's a huge journey that we can take people on. And I think it's just a hopefully you enjoy our flavor. That was a great analogy. Perfectly done. Yeah. I wish I could credit whoever told me that. Carol probably told me that. She's obviously she's the commander in chief of the Commodore. <laughs> so everybody has one. That's right. That's right. Uh, moving on, we have Lee Hutchinson or Lee W. Hutchinson, and he said, I'd love to hear an episode talking about. Star Trek one through six trailers, maybe doing a little commentary on each of them and memories of maybe seeing for the first time, etc. I remember reading this on the Babel conference and Ken, you really, really enjoyed this idea. So why don't you give us a, a little bit of what you said about this? Yeah, it was just brilliant. I, I would never have come up with anything like that. And, you know, I think it's, it's very apropos when you consider what's been going on with the Star Trek Beyond and, and all the, the reactions, mostly negative to it. And then going back and you, you look at, at, at how they were made. But I do remember probably the, um, 
the trailers coming up from Star Trek Two and above. I don't really remember the motion picture ones. I was I was a bit young then, but it would be wonderful to replay those and talk about them and how they were constructed. And you know the the uh, like I said that that constantly that that was brilliant because I haven't heard anybody do that. Do you remember one in particular that you just? It's always stuck with you or a scene from a trailer that's always yeah. been in your, yeah, okay. Star Trek three. Why did they tell us the Enterprise was going to blow boom? up? They showed it, you know, and, and I at, at that point, I was really like a lot of people's um, anger towards towards beyond with the music and the Justin Linfast and Furious type approach. I like the trailer, by the way. I'm just saying that that that, that really bugged me because. And I've said this before. The Enterprise is my favorite character on Star Trek. It is. And, you know, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum. So that one in particular really bugged me a lot. It, it just did not make me happy. It's like, okay, you're trying to find the next dramatic event. You've killed Spock. Now we're going to kill the Enterprise. They did it right, but I was very upset that the trailer uh, tipped that one off. That would have been a a huge... Uh, and things got out back then, but that would have been a huge dramatic moment in the movie if you did not know that was coming. No, I agree. Jeff, I mean, you were shaking your head. Yeah, Sounds and, like you and to too. that point, I mean, they could have had something else like maybe the Klingon boarding party on the bridge with the countdown clock saying five, four, three, and then cut it off so you don't know whether or not they're able to, you know, prevent the ship from blowing up or not on the trailer. Right, they could have yeah. pulled something like they did in, like, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, he was able to stop the countdown remotely mm-hmm. or something like that. But yeah. yeah, I agree. It's like the that, exposing. You know, if they yeah. just shown, like, the, the self-destruct countdown, it would have been just as effective dramatically, but it still would have left it open as to whether or not they actually blew up the ship. And that would drive you in even more mm-hmm. into the theaters, but it, from a point of wonder as, oppo- as opposed to a point of anger. Yeah. Um, for me, my most memorable uh, Star Trek trailer was the first teaser for Star Trek VI, where they've got the clips from all the different shows and the movies projected so onto good. the Enterprise hull with the voiceover from Christopher Plummer. Yep. I mean, it so was just incredible. I loved cool, it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, I think um, if I could speak for you, Jeff, what it brought up was just it brought up so much nostalgia mm-hmm. because you were seeing all of these great scenes from the TV series. And I think it ended on the very last scene was from where no man has gone before where Kirk and Spock were playing chess. Mm-hmm. And it go, Cause it went all the way back. I'm not sure yeah. if all the scenes went in reverse, but it went all the way back to just those two. I, I don't recall. Um, but I know as you know, it's like the enterprise from the, the shot from the motion picture that got reused in star Trek two of the enterprise mm-hmm. pulling out a space dock basically. And as you're close up on the bottom or, you know, the underside of the hull. And as it pulls away, you know, you're getting to see more and more scenes kind of checkerboard on the hull of the ship. And they're all playing at the same time, different clips from throughout Star Trek history. And mm-hmm. it was just really well done. And it captured, you know, the, the, the feeling that, you know, this is going to be their last voyage. And, you know, this is kind of wrapping everything up together in one big package. Right. When I was sitting there watching that and then looking at it, versus the end of Star Trek six, you have this great teaser trailer with that and then showing all of them when they were so young and when the show just first came out. And then you bookend that with 
the autograph sequence mm-hmm. with that great piece of music. And it just gives you chills as a fan where you're, you're seeing basically the, the entirety of this journey and how much that you've appreciated being amongst this cast. There's something that's really interesting about how we connect with our casts as the original series fans. We do so with this cast and every show has that. But at that time when Star Trek six came out and when I was sitting there in the theater, when that, when that sequence came up, I was moved to tears Mm -hmm. when that happened. I mean, and it's not because the movie moved me to tears. It was everything that kind of just was boiled down to that one moment. And then seeing that, William Shatner's signature with the iconic Alexander Courage, that bomb, 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 bomb. That's it. Every emotion was probably unlocked at that time. Just love, passion, regret, because I'm not going to see this again. Um, joy, grief, name it. It was there at that time. And that's, I think, something that's so powerful about what these trailers can actually summon in people. And I think that's a, I think we definitely have to kind of jump in there and really do uh, an idea like that justice. Um, We have a couple of other pieces of feedback here that we need to get to before we run out of time. So Ken. His his second part there we haven't talked about. Yeah, go ahead. And um, because this kind of falls in line with what we were talking about with TMP versus uh, TWOK. So he writes, what about discussing the contrast in Roddenberry's vision of Starfleet and that of Nick Meyer, who embraced a more military Navy feel. And I think that's a very worthwhile discussion. And without getting too deep in it, I would just say at a very high level, in Roddenberry's world, the structure was much more military as far as how people reacted to one another. And the feel in Nick Meyer's was much more military in terms of mission and uniforms, things along, you know, the aesthetic. So... But to really dive into that, that in itself would be a great show. I'd love to do that. Well, I mean, Roddenberry being a Navy guy, you know, that's kind of like... He was Air Force. Oh, he was Air Force. He was Army Air Corps at the time, yeah. Oh, I thought he was a Navy guy for some reason. All right, there you go. he was a pilot. Well, he was a a bomber pilot. Okay. So discipline and rank and structure, all of that was a part of his fabric, right? So that obviously weaved its way into the way that he wrote this ship wrote the crew, wrote the experience that he was able to uh, create with all these different ranks and structures. And then, Ken, in the last episode, you were talking about how important that was to you as a viewer. And I'm sure it is important to a lot of people who are service people who have served or are serving right now. And that's an anchor point for them to really appreciate the show. So I know you two both. I mean, you're you've both served and that's a part of the show that you really attached yourselves to. Isn't that right, Jeff? You said that, I think, before. Yeah, and I'm from a military family, so I grew up, you know, surrounded by the military. And it just felt very comfortable and familiar. You know, you hear all these people with military ranks and a military structure on a military-seeming ship. And, you know, it's very similar to what I see every day going out uh, in my environment on a military base with... You know, you got, you know, sergeants and lieutenants and majors and captains and colonels, etc. You know, and it was, uh, you know, it, it seemed very familiar and I could identify with this structure of, you know, a military type structure on the show very easily. 
By the way, Thomas Flint, before you write me an email, I was completely testing the audience to see if they were going to actually figure out that I was, you know, kind of knowing, not knowing that Gene Roddenberry was in the Navy versus the um, Marines. Was it Marines? No, it was Air Force. No, it was Army. Army Air Corps. Army. Army. You don't Army know Air my Corps. game, people. You don't know what I'm all about. So just calm yourselves and take your fingers off the uh, keyboard right now before you write me an email. Okay. Technically, he <laughs> was Army because the Air Force didn't split off from the Army until after his enlistment was up, or you know, he was he was an officer, so his term of service was up. See, so if if anyone made a mistake, it's going to be Jeff. So write him the emails. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no. Thanks. Thanks for testing us. I think we yeah. did well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my my grandfather he enlisted in 1946 when it was still part of the army and switched over to the air force. So, you know, I know how confusing that switchover could be because 1947 the air force split off from the army. And see, Star Trek and a history lesson. Why aren't you listening to this show? Why aren't more people listening to our show? They should be. If they want education. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> so who do we have next, Ken? Ian Kimmons, he writes, great episode again, guys. Are you planning to do any what-ifs, stories or ideas you feel should have been explored and weren't? We could. I think it fits into the narrative a little bit of what Aaron was saying before. Not so much as a rewrite, but what could have been, definitely. This is a uh, another great idea. Ian is... Um, you know, another one of our larger supporters always comes in with great comments. And this one, I think that um, we could really play with this mm-hmm. well. And, you know, Ian, when you when you hear this again, give us some of your ideas and concepts that we could pick up on, too, because it would be interesting to, to see where we could have gone. You know, what if this happened instead of that, that type of thing? And, you know, that's essentially what's happening with the, uh, the JJ-verse, right? So, it could be a lot of fun to do, especially with all the time travel that went on in Star Trek. And I know that's a that's a big um, fan favorite of Jeff's. He loves the time travel. So, yeah, this is a, a very open, very smart, and, and very welcome uh, recommendation. And another uh, aspect on that is, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, with all the stuff that we know from later Star Trek incarnations, you know, we could have little tidbits show up. Here and there in episodes, you know, maybe a mention of David during the original series or a mention of Demora, you know, something uh, about the the crew's families beyond what's going on with them on the ship. You know, just little things like that. You know, there are also a couple of listeners and actually one listener and one of uh, one of our family here at Trek FM. They've written me with a couple of interesting show ideas. Roy Frank Toddy, he actually private messaged me. And he thought it would be an interesting show topic to discuss all of the different shows that were happening at the time when Star Trek was on. Hogan's Heroes, Bewitched, Star Trek, that era of television and how the perception was with all the different lead roles and characters. I don't have his um, private message in front of me specifically, but I think he was really focusing a lot on Hogan's Heroes because Bob Crane and the way that they ran that show and it's kind of the way that certain elements um, of political correctness, of representation were happening on that show. Same thing with Bewitched. Same thing with a lot of shows at the time, Man from Uncle and Star Trek. So I think that would be a really interesting show to also tackle. I'm not as well versed in that segment of TV history, but it's something that we could definitely take a look at. 
And then also Dennis Costello, this is kind of like one of those what if types of shows. He always wanted us to try and get a show revolving around recasting the original series cast with classic actors of the time. Say like, who would you pick for Captain Kirk? Like, would you pick James Franciscus of, you know, from the uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes fame or Planet of the Apes 2 or Charlton Heston? Jack of Lord of the Apes. from Hawaii. Jack, Lord. Exactly. Jack Lord. So the big actors like of the 1950s, 1960s, you know, who are bigger names, probably marquee names like Cary Grant or let's um, like Barbara Eden or Robert Vaughn. So, you know, you're you're going back in time and seeing, hmm, let's take a look at the casting and the headshots of who was being submitted, possibly submitted for the show and see what kind of fun we can have from there. So that could be a really interesting and fun topic also to discuss. So for our last entry here, Jeff, who do we have? Uh, we have another message from Christopher Baca. Uh, he's another one of our, uh, uh, very, uh, gives us a lot of feedback and we greatly appreciate all of it. Uh, he says, I have really liked what you've done so far. I'm looking forward to the motion picture versus Wrath of Khan and which one relaunched the franchise. Wrath of Khan. <laughs> I liked how you dove right into the third season and showed that it isn't as bad as popular culture has led people to believe. I mean, starting with Spock's brain, Jeff, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm going to kind of dovetail that into what Aaron was saying, like, what's your point of view and what journey do you want to take us on? And then also kind of dovetail that into what Greg was saying. Season three for us has always been one of those aspects of the original series that we, I think the three of us just embrace from our own personalities. I think that we're the kind of fans that can take a look at season three and say, hey, you know what? There's always value when you want to find value, Period. If you don't want to like it, don't like it. But it doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of other people aren't going to like it. So I think that's one of the things that we challenged ourselves when we first started talking about what are we going to do for this show. And what we wanted to do was make sure that every episode gets a fair shake. Because there are a lot of people that come to this show from a lot of different points of life and a lot of different life experiences. And what works for somebody may not work for another person, but I think it's our responsibility as host for the show to take a look at the material and to make sure it gets an objective representation. So that's the way I feel about the third season. How about you guys? Yeah, I think we're all aligned. It's, it's definitely for us. And, and we said it before on the other shows when we were watching it as well, teenagers for me after the motion picture and I started watching it more closely, I didn't know season one from two from three and could care less. I just watched it to watch it. And at one point, I guess, you started to watch things in chronological order when you got the DVDs or the, the VHS back in the day and you were recording them. But uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, every, every show deserves its fair shake regardless of what season, quote unquote, it was in. And so much time has passed that I get how how the views are with that. And uh, yeah, I, I think we're we're pretty consistent with our messaging. We're, we're not just going to hammer a show because of the time and when it was produced. Either it was a bad show or it was a show that could have been improved. But that's how we're going to approach this. Yeah, I don't think I ever even watched the shows in chronological order until like the mid to late 90s. Uh, I mean, I'd been watching the show for a couple of decades at that point, and 
It wasn't until the 90s when they uh, had all the VHS releases for the 25th anniversary came out that I really got a chance to see it in the production order because the uh, video rental store on, on base happened to have a complete set of the entire original series, so we checked them all out in order and watched all of Star Trek beginning to end. You know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that all of us were on board with when we teamed up together for this was that we're all coming from it from different places, but I think that all of us agree on that there are so many new fans that are coming to the show that they deserve to have at least everything laid out on the table for them, all the cards are facing up, and let them decide. That's really all we want to do with Star Trek. My point of view is no more is no better or no worse than anyone else's point of view. It's the way I see it. My life experiences have brought me to this point and I've seen Star Trek in so many different views and so many different lights because what I saw when I was 20 years old is not the same thing that I'm seeing at 44. I mean, I think that, you know, Ken you and I were talking about that with the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. We both so saw those at completely different points in our lives. And as we've been watching them, Jeff, I'm sure it's the same for you. As we've been watching it through time, they resonate differently. So I think that's really what we want to leave behind with every show that we do here on Standard Orbit is just to give you a lot to chew on. There's no right or wrong to anything that we're saying here, you know, except for the Wrath of Khan being better than motion picture. But, you know, that's besides the point. You know, it's clearly right. Right. So, um, I mean, Ken's clearly right. There's a certain I'm the Master Chief death stare that you see every once in a while. I think I just got it. So I'm reversing my position because they were all in good fun. And, and you know, <laughs> I'm a coward. And you know, <laughs> and you know, I know I am not on the popular side of this equation, but that just also goes to show you that uh, people have different experiences different points of views, and it's all welcome. That's what IDIC is all about. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's it's not my fault that uh, most of the population is incorrect in their finding with the Wrath of Khan, but it is what it is, and we move on. I still respect all their opinions, and, you know, it's it's a shame, but that's okay. <laughs> Jeff, you have something to say? <laughs> I just, uh, I, I appreciate all of it. Um, you know, it's, to me... Star Trek has always been just one big story, you know, even the different series, the different seasons, it all just kind of goes together in, in my mind, even, you know, with the new timeline from the most recent films, it's, it's just another reality. It's another take on the story. And I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a lot of fun and that's what it's all about. Really. It's, it's about enjoyment and entertainment and having fun. I couldn't agree with that more. I couldn't disagree with Ken more, but I couldn't agree with you more, Mr. Atos, So, <laughs> But you're right. It's um, We want to have people enjoy this and have a good time when they're watching it. So that's, I think that's the best that you can come away with when you listen to Standard Orbit or any of the shows on Trek FM. So before we go, I think that somewhere along the line, guys, we should maybe think about an honorary Schmedlap and Umpty Scratch medal because... Just in terms of all the feedback that we get from all of our listeners and our viewers and the private messaging that I get from some of them uh, and consistently, and I do appreciate all of it, I think for this episode, our two honorary members for this crew that have won the Umpty Scratch 
and the Schmedlap Awards will be Christopher Baca and Greg Malumbi because you guys have really been consistently with us since episode one. And we thank you for every single piece of feedback, email, private message, and point of concern or anything that you said for us. It's, um, it's incredibly moving to have fans like you and everybody on the Babel conference join in on the collective fun and share your voices with us. So thank you. I'm not going to say who is who because Schmedlab gets whipped pretty badly by Ken, but that's, that's the price you pay for the service that you give us. So how about you guys? Anything that you would like to, to uh, tell our listeners before we close this one up? For me, I just thank you for the uh, companionship that, that we get through the show and through Trek FM. It's, it's been a wonderful journey for the, for the two years that I've been affiliated with this network, whether as a, a fan, a Patreon member, a, I guess, host, and a uh, editor. It's, it's been a remarkable journey, and it's, it's funny. You know, I, I think a few of our listeners heard that we, we finally got to meet each other face-to-face a few weeks back. And it's it's it makes me so look forward to Star Trek Las Vegas because I'm hoping to see a lot of these same people that we're interacting with and sit down and and buy them a drink and and get to know them even better. It is it is nice that this um, this universe that we play in this Star Trek universe brings us together as a family, and we're all different. We all have different points of view. And we all have this and that, but we all come together because of the love of this this franchise. And that, that's pretty special. It means a lot to me. And uh, I, I appreciate all the feedback. I really do, especially the, the ones that this is, you know, what we're doing wrong and what we could do better. It's, uh, it, it's not an ego fest as much as we want to make sure we're doing it right. So thank you for, for all your participation and your comments. I greatly appreciate all the feedback that we're getting. Um, I like knowing, uh, you know, what we're doing great, uh, what we can improve on, and just giving some direction uh, on things that uh, people want to hear. Uh, it, it's it's great to hear from everyone, and I hope to keep seeing that uh, that feedback coming in. Absolutely, and you can do that at any time on the Babel Conference because that's where most of us spend our social media time as hosts and as participants for Trek FM. We're not just hosts, we're listeners and we're contributors. So that's where you can find us. And it's been an incredible time discussing all of the great feedback from our listeners here, from the emails to all of the feedback from the Babel conference on this episode of Standard Orbit. But this isn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on the Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Women at Warp. The only way that she can get through the trauma is remembering what her real story is, and that's getting this puppy home and taking care of it. I wish that Captain Jeremy Nelson said, let's get this puppy home. (laughs) Melodic Treks. Do you know what lesson I got from this? What? Don't rely on technology to solve all of your problems. What does that mean? It means don't play on your iPad all the time. That's what my teacher told me. Your teacher's very smart. Saturday Morning Trek. 
Dorothy had a little bit of a fit with the uh, animators. They had said over and over again, there is no moon in the Vulcan sky. I think it was like the first episode that aired of the original series when they mentioned this because Uhura walks up to Spock and she's like, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me that I would look good in your moon. And he's like, Vulcan has no moon. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Continuing mission. So why don't you give me a little bit of a thumbnail of what Starship Grissom is. First, it's a uh, Star Trek fan film. It's written by teachers and designed so teachers and educators can download it and use it in their classrooms. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So Mr. Ataz, when you are not stuck somewhere in the transmat beam between the Wave Rider and the Atavacron because of some Porsche Medlap's mishap with Romulan Ale, please let all of our listeners know how they can get in touch uh, and stay in tune with everything that's happening on Trek FM. Well, you can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps to us to increase our visibility for new listeners. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Atos. And Ken, you mentioned before that you came in through the Patreon program and how important that is for you as somebody who likes giving back to Trek FM. So could you please let our listeners know about that and how they can stay in touch with everything there through some of the incentives that we have in the Patreon program? Sure, I'd be happy to. Patreon is the service Trek FM employs to receive donations for our listener-supported network. Norm, Jeff, and I are all big contributors to the network through Patreon, and we appreciate whatever you can afford to help us so that we can bring you interruption-free podcasting. So please log in to Patreon, and that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. And see the and, and see the perks you can receive and the level of donations you can with the level of donations that you can afford, and which is all inclusive of exclusive content, uh, associate producer credit, a seat on the patrons roundtable. It's all there for you. So all of us at Trek FM, and especially Standard Orbit, appreciate all your support through Patreon. Absolutely, we can't do this show without you, especially without the support of our two associate producers for Standard Orbit. Renee Roberts, and Richard Rutledge. Thank you so much for all of your support for both Standard Orbit and all of the Trek FM shows through Patreon.com. You can find Renee on Twitter at MRES underscore 1701 and Richard at RUT8972. And just another way to be able to support Trek FM and wear it and show everyone your support, check out redbubble.com and type Trek FM into the search field and you'll be able to find a variety of apparel, and ways to wear your Trek FM fandom every day, designed by our, our very own art director, Aaron Harvey. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. You could also go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. We love voice messages and we really would like to hear a lot more of them. So please do that for us. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. And as we all have mentioned throughout the course of this show and all of our other shows, the Babel Conference. Type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at TrekFM and click discussion on the menu bar. That's where you'll be able to find most of us most of the time. So Ken, 
when you are not too busy trying to break the argument that I have that's literally the unbreakable argument about the Wrath of Khan, how can our listeners find you uh, and uh, contact you about helping you bolster your side of the argument across the network? Well, just remember, I've got some pretty formidable... I guess, allies in this, also already on the network if you haven't seen the Babel (laughs) Conference lately. Mm -hmm. So just remember, it's not just me you're messing with. There's a much bigger crowd out there. So for me, if you could, I I hang out on the Babel Conference. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Feel free to, to friend me on Facebook or to IM me. With, uh, with with any questions or comments that you might have to stump Mr. Ataz, and we will definitely uh, read those questions to him on the air without him seeing it. And if you are able to stump him, I mean, some of you are already finding some test questions that he's putting out there to see how mm-hmm. smart you guys are, then you know, we'll get you a shirt from from Redbubble and send it at as a as a prize. So uh, look for me on the Babel Conference, and I will definitely be looking for you. So thank you. Thanks, Ken, so much. And Mr. Ataz, so your game has definitely been called out. So there are a lot of people that want to get in touch with you. So please let everyone know how they can find you across the interwebs. Well, if you don't have access to an Atavicron or even a stolen Type 40 TARDIS, you can always find me on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I am the co-host both here on Standard Orbit and on Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm also on Twitter, at Harlander, and I'm a supporter of the network through Patreon. You can also check out my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek. That's at trekopedia.com, and my independent comic books at bandwidthcomics.com, or search for on Facebook for Bandwidth Comics. And make sure when you steal that Type 40 TARDIS that it has a working chameleon circuit, because... I don't know. How long do you stay in a blue police box? What? I don't know. How many years? 60? Well, so. actually, uh, uh, counting the whole chronology uh, at this point, it's uh, going on uh, closer to about 1,500 years. There you go. See? What do I know? I mean, it's not like I watched Doctor Who or anything, <laughs> right? So <laughs> thanks, Jeff. And I was glad to have you back on the show. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference our Facebook listeners page, as I've mentioned before. You can find me on Twitter at Starfighter1701. And like Ken said before, we are all proud sponsors and supporters of the Patreon program. That's how I came through the network. And I'm also an executive producer here at Trek FM. So if you'd like to get in touch with me about how you can get involved, please send me a private message. Please send me an email. I'd be happy to talk to you about it because we have a great support system here and we're growing and we'd love to be able to to have you join our ranks and just expand the family. And that's a great opportunity for you. You can find out how to do that through Patreon with a little bit more support. You could probably even get inside and see how the sausage is made. I wanted to say that. Does anyone get that reference at all? How the sausage is made? It's very political. Okay. So um, I might as well just stop now. I should stop (laughs) now and just turn it over to Mr. Ataz. Why don't you close us out, bro? All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Standard Orbit.